Welcome to the Paris Court podcast, our Friday fix. I'm Rory Godson, Chief Executive of Paris Court, and I'm delighted to be joined by another former Irish journalist, Matthew O'Toole, MLA for the FDLP for the Belfast South constituency. Matthew is a Paris Court alumnus, and before Paris Court was a spokesman for number 10 Downing Street. Matt, great to see you and congratulations on your electoral success. I know that you were counting long into the night as the proportional representation system eventually gave you justice. And the extraordinary thing is that it must have felt a little like Groundhog Day for you in that we're back to an issue which has bedeviled politics for six years, Brexit, and particularly to the protocol could you talk to us a little, an idiot's guide to the protocol? Yes, you're right, Rory, that the issues surrounding Brexit have bedeviled politics in Northern Ireland and in a sense all of the UK and Ireland for the last six years. And in a sense, it's why I'm a politician here. It's why I left the UK government and worked for Powers Court. But in essence, the protocol is a set of arrangements designed to uh, deal with the unique situation of Northern Ireland and the island of Ireland post-Brexit. The decision by the UK government to leave not just the European Union in terms of the political structures, but to leave both the single market and the customs union. That was going to require the presence of potential checks on goods moving into and out of the European single market and into and out of the UK, which were deemed to be very politically sensitive and deeply problematic for the whole island of Ireland, particularly for Northern Ireland. And a set of arrangements was designed to prevent that. That led to lots of political controversy on both sides of the Irish Sea. It keeps Northern Ireland effectively in single market for goods, meaning a product or a consignment of goods uh, in Northern Ireland are deemed to be legally treated as if they were in the European single market. As of now, the presence of the protocol or the protocol in its current form is the reason the DUP is giving to refuse to re-enter the power sharing structures at Stormont. And as a result of that, the UK government uh, says it wants to heavily revise the terms of the protocol. Matt, is the protocol seen by business people in Northern Ireland as being in general good or bad, or does it depend on what they're doing? It depends a little bit on what they're doing, but in general terms, the business community uh, likes the protocol relative to what the alternative would be. No business, particularly businesses that imports goods, likes new bureaucracy. All business groups basically in Northern Ireland want the protocol to remain. But in general, businesses like untrammeled access to the EU single market, which is particularly if you're an exporter, that's something that businesses in England, Scotland and Wales do not have. Um, most people are, are, are employed uh, in uh, uh, increasingly in services. Um, it is now harder to move data across between the two jurisdictions on the island of Ireland. It's harder to move people unless they're British or Irish citizens. It's harder to do to move capital. Um, so the protocol only covers a relatively small but significant area of economic activity. When Boris Johnson negotiated the protocol late in 2019, how did he present it? Was he a reluctant groom or was he enthusiastic? Well, he was very enthusiastic and he called it a fantastic deal. He was very positive about the overall deal. When it came to the protocol itself, he dismissed the idea that there would be any new burdens or potential checks. Of course, inevitably, there's disruption, as we know, to trade in goods at Calais and Dover. 
and um, because of the unique situation on, on the island of Ireland, having decided they were going to leave the single market and customs union, those checks, either theoretical or real, were going to have to take place somewhere, either at the ports of Larne and Belfast or along that border. And he chose to play it down. So they present themselves as moving against the protocol on the basis that the protocol is a threat to the Belfast Agreement, to the 1998 settlement. Do you think they're sincere in that? I'm told that Boris Johnson is at least sincerely affronted by how often he is reminded of the way he's treated the DUP. I don't think at a deep level they are sincere about trying to protect the genuine spirit of the 1998 Good Friday Agreement. Because if they were, they would never have proceeded with hard Brexit. There's a kind of logical dissonance to dismissing the, the fact that the protocol is in itself a consequence of Brexit. That is just what should be an extraordinarily basic logical point that is either missed or deliberately uh, elided by uh, by people like Johnson. So no, I don't think that. I think one of the worrying things at the minute is that there are very dark forces operating inside Northern Ireland politics. Coveney, the Irish Foreign Minister, uh, and we've seen an escalation in language from uh, terrorist groups, frankly, who um, are now uh, saying they're no longer committed to the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement within the Conservative Party in London. Frankly, Brexit nationalism uh, taking hold and continuing to be, uh, it seems at times like the only real coal for the steam engine of uh, the internal combustion engine of Conservative politics. Johnson's government isn't doing a huge amount. The levelling up agenda, they have very little going on in terms of the cost of living crisis. The Queen's speech was relatively empty. So there is a, a kind of need or a desire to keep the Brexit fight going in some form. And the Northern Ireland Protocol is sort of the obvious place to continue to have a fight. Matt, do you see a solution? Uh, there definitely is a solution that should be theoretically possible. All of the concerns that led to the near triggering of Article 16 last year, medicines, the EU has already moved to change European law uh, on that regard. When I put that point as an example, he wasn't even aware that the EU had changed its own law. He did it happen, first of all, and until we corrected him and told him that you know, the EU had changed its law. So there is the potential for flexibility there. Um, but the problem is, uh, to go back to the two points I raised before, um, will any implementation solutions be good enough for the hard hard right of unionism? Those aren't people who are looking for practical mitigations to ease the flow of goods into Northern Ireland, because that will still leave a protocol which theoretically and legally means Northern Ireland's in a slightly different position to the UK. They're after something much more fundamental and something that goes far beyond Brexit or the protocol. The hard right, the ERG and the Conservative Party do seem to lust for a continued confrontation with Brussels and Boris Johnson, whose position, is, you know, is continues to be vulnerable as a as Conservative leader and Prime Minister, needs to give them something to um, to to ensure his own position. So, theoretically, there certainly is a what is called a landing zone in terms of making this uh, work. But the problem is, it requires political leadership, and that political leadership is not really in evidence either in. Uh, London or in parts of unionism in Belfast, achieving that compromise and, and getting the political leadership is is the real concern. Matt, it sounds as though we're in a depressing and even dangerous period. What's a worst case scenario? My worst case scenario is a prolonged political vacuum. One of the most concerning things over the past year or two has been the willingness of certain conservative ministers 
to point to instability in Belfast in order to make an anti-EU case. Uh, political instability in Belfast is be- they're almost incentivizing it. I, they're almost incentivizing the DUP to continue to um, stop Stormont from sitting. The UK government has almost incentivized that by continuing to talk up instability. Um, and of course, there are other historical resonances which are at play around changing demography in Northern Ireland. The election of Sinn Féin is the largest party. Obviously, I'm not in Sinn Féin, but, but they are now the largest party in Northern Ireland. Um, those have deep historical resonances for certain people. I think Northern Ireland society has moved on. We're not going to slide back into conflict, but the real risk is continued political instability, the lack of functioning institutions. And at that point, at a certain point, people become so frustrated with politics here. Not that we, you slide back into civil unrest, but just that all of the all of the achievements in terms of better British-Irish relations, better community relations, just they're, they're put at risk generally. Some of the very bad consequences are already there. Uh, and they include not being able to spend money on the health service not being able to get money out to help people with the cost of living crisis, not being able to develop a strategy for economic growth and deal with our brain drain. So in a sense, we're already seeing the consequences, not having a government. Certain people in London, they see an advantage for them in that instability continuing. Before we finish, who, who are those people? Give me some names. Well, I mean, I think, you know, parts of the Conservative Party, people in the ERG, uh, that, you know, if you look at what Liz Truss was saying, we have mass civil unrest uh, and economic collapse over the protocol. That's just a complete fabrication. There isn't mass unrest. There are uh, bureaucratic consequences that we need to work through and minimise. And um, there is a degree of um, uh, frustration in unionism uh, that, that, that needs to be spoken to and led both by unionist leadership here and the UK government. But as I said, senior people, including, frankly, the Prime Minister, I do doubt their willingness to lead people um, uh, and to, because that will, of course, require... Leading people would, of course, require being honest about the consequences of his actions, and that's not something he's ever been particularly keen on doing. And on that sobering note... Thank you very much for joining us for this week's Friday Fix, the Paris Court podcast. And special thanks to our alumnus, Matthew O'Toole, MLA, for his incisive and clear exposition of the problems facing Northern Ireland as the last battle of Brexit. (laughs) 